Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions with your host, Rev. Paul John Roach. So hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. I'm your host, Paul John Roach, coming to you from Carlsbad in New Mexico. I'm on vacation. Uh, Last week, uh, we had to do an encore because our prospective guest was experiencing a health challenge and we wish her well of course Uh, today though i'm back and i'm with the author of a wonderful new translation of the Tao Te Ching which focuses on the divine feminine wisdom in that ancient text Rosemary Anderson PhD is professor emeritus of transpersonal psychology at Sophia University in California She's also an Episcopal priest, an author of several books, and the co-founder of the Transpersonal Research Network and uh, the Sacred Science Circle. So it's a a real pleasure to welcome Rosemary to today's show. Glad you're with us. Welcome. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Tell us a little bit about your journey with the Tao, because I think all of us, well, many of us, and especially in New Thought or spiritual circles, uh, have been impacted by the Tao. I know I was when I was in my early 20s, and I read it all the way through for the first time, and it was a transformative experience, um, and it's endlessly renewing, isn't it? It's a short book, 81 chapters, uh, and yet it has amazing five what that 5,000 pictograms or whatever, um, and yet it's, it's incredibly profound. Tell us about your journey with it. Yes, well, uh, I started reading the Tao Te Ching probably in my late teens or 20s. Um, you know, I, I just am spiritually inclined in general and have always been that way. And, um, you know, I was intrigued by it. I don't know exactly when I started to read it, but my experience with the Tao Te Ching uh, really goes back to my time in Asia. Uh, uh, I was around 30 when I left my uh, tenured faculty position in uh, Wake Forest in North Carolina, and uh, I went and joined the University of Maryland Asian Division and got to spend two and a half wonderful years in Asia mostly traveling around Japan and South Korea where I was teaching and then uh, then on vacations elsewhere. And um, I learned so much by just living in Asia, and that renewed all my interest in things Chinese and Asian. And uh, I felt called to be there. And uh, it wasn't, though, until I retired that I used the Chinese that I learned uh, while living in Asia 
to begin translating the Tao Te Ching, and it was an absolutely transformative experience doing the translations. And you used a particular text, didn't you? An old text. Tell us about that. The old, the old, the old text. I'm sorry, I didn't quite get the question. Uh, you used a certain manuscript, right? A, a version right. of the of the text. Tell us about that. Yeah, I. You know, there have there have been has been what they call the standard version that most translators have used uh, up until rather recently, and. Uh, there were two major archaeological discoveries in China, one in 1973 and the other in 1992, when uh, older versions of the Tao Te Ching were fine, found. And uh, one is called the Mao Wang Ti, A and B version, um, and then another one is called the Gideon version. And they were separate archaeological um, discoveries, and these are now considered the, uh, you know, the prime or uh, the oldest manuscripts that we have. They date back to the 3rd century BCE, Um, and since, uh, you know, uh, the manuscript probably was taught in uh, an oral tradition before then, but they weren't probably written down until about the 3rd century BCE. And that's the one you used in, in this translation there? Absolutely. I use the what is considered the, the oldest or the, wow. the has the oldest pride of praise, uh, place um, uh, understanding. So um, not all translators use uh, these manuscripts, uh, but I was able to get access to them. They're online. I mean, you can get them pretty easily. Right. Um, but uh, not all translators have used them. And um, what's remarkable about these manuscripts, which were found in different provinces in China, uh, is the congruency between the three manuscripts. And um, some are written on bamboo and others on silk. And um, but the congruency, there are very few um, differences between the manuscripts, which is absolutely remarkable because I know a lot about the Old Testament and New Testament, and when, um, the uh, scribes in you know in in the West, you know, there were a lot of errors. Um, in these in these Chinese manuscripts, they must have been so revered. Uh, by the calligraphers who uh, transcribed them, that there's hardly any changes, any mistakes. It's amazing. Yes, that's quite fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, because mm-hmm. if you think about early Christianity, there's there's at least 45 Gospels and other texts around okay. Jesus' life, right? And they're, they're remarkably right. different from each other. And, and, and even right. the Gospels that we have, the four that we have... Um, you know, show remarkable differences, especially, you know, John compared with the Synoptic Gospels, etc. So, yeah, very interesting. Yeah. And of course, yeah, you know, traditionally, you know, Lao Tzu supposedly wrote it down, you know, at one time. But, yeah, I think modern scholarship suggests it was probably a, some kind of compilation of ancient wisdom, right, rather than just the, the work of one person. That's right. Lao Tzu actually means old master. Uh, it's a title like the Reverend, for example, and uh, it's a title. So they're not really sure, the scholars, the people who study this in depth, historians, 
whether he's a legend or a person or many old masters and who lived around the same time, usually usually acknowledged to be around the 6th century BCE, um, that the manuscript came into oral formation in a congruent way. Uh, it may actually um, go back to the 11th century BCE um, when one considers um, the linguistic analysis of, I, you know, I'm not a linguist, but I've read the literature, and they, the linguistic analysis of the Chinese used in the Tao Te Ching suggests that it actually dates back to the oral tradition of the 11th century. So, huh. you know, we're dealing with a very old manuscript here. Absolutely. And there's a million translations, right? I think I, I, think I read one time there's more translations of the Tao than any other book except for the Bible, and uh, that's, that's right. a lot of translations. Right. Uh, I've got uh, probably a dozen myself in, on, on my bookshelves, um, some that I, you know, I, I resonate with more than others. And I've got to admit that, that this particular one of yours uh, is already one of my favorites, because I think it, it mm. goes to the heart of, uh, of the Tao, because that's my own personal opinion. But, but some mm -hmm. of them just irritate me for some reason, because they don't quite get it or something. Um, right. In my mind, at least, you know, the, the spirit of it. But um, this this one right. I found very, very meaningful. So so thank you for that. Thank you for doing this. Oh, thank you. It took a long time, but I had a wonderful time doing it. I think the reason for a lot of the differences in the translation is not that people made mistakes particularly, um, but because um, Chinese and English are such different languages. Oh, my goodness. And... Um, some scholars, um, translators, have chosen to write in a very literal way, very kind of mental. And those are the translations that don't work for me. Uh, the Tao Te Ching is meant to be sung or chanted or, or in lyrical form. So that I've done my best to, to write um, a poetic version uh, that retains the poetic nature of the Chinese characters when they are, you know, assembled together. And so I've done. Yeah, and I've heard also that you know, the, each character means can mean as you know several different things. So, so it's right. hard to get you know an exact translation because of the the nuance of it. And uh, in fact, uh -huh. it's left that way, isn't it? It's left to be sort of mysterious rather than. A, a literal interpretation as we are familiar with in, in the West. So, yeah, it's tough tough uh, to translate in the first place. Just like right. the very name Tao, I mean, it's, it's hard to uh, <laughs> translate the Tao, right? That's right. Yeah, it could mean the path, it could mean a road, it could mean where you're walking, I mean, uh, or just walking itself. I mean, uh, you know, the, there's a you know, the... Each Chinese character, when I lived in, a, in Asia, for instance, I would be just fascinated just looking at, at advertisement. And when you look at a, an advertisement, uh, like in a subway station or something, um, it's like watching a video because each character moves. It has its, is a dynamic, has a dynamic quality. So, you know, the metaphoric meaning of each character in movement is, is very hard to capture in English. It's just a, a difficult thing to do, period. You know, you know uh, T.S. Eliot said, uh, you know, said in his, one of his great poems, um, 
talked about this, you know, the still point of the turning world, you know, that's that's where the dance is and there's only the dance and it's, it's a very Taoist idea, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, out yeah. of that stillness, out of that origin, out of that emptiness, if you like, comes everything and, um, mm-hmm. and the, mm-hmm. the dance occurs as a result of that. So, yeah, it's very, very interesting. I, because it it's, in in verse one in in, in the, the first chapter, um, it sort of sums this up this uh, this paradox, right? The Tao that can be told is not the everlasting Tao. You you can't talk about it. You can experience it, right? It's a felt thing. Um, but mm-hmm. the minute you name it, um, and it's true in the Bible too, right? Everything went to, to pot when. Um, when God gave Adam the ability to name things, right? And I, I really don't think it was the eating of the apple that was the problem. It was the fact that he <laughs> got to name everything. Because uh, once you start naming things, you don't, you no longer see them for what they are, right? You just see the labels. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a very interesting interpretation of Genesis. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. When we start naming things, we start not seeing them anymore. You know, uh, because we've kind of codified them somehow. And um, so that's why I think the language of the Da Te Ching, for example, is so poetic, because, and the Chinese language is itself can be very poetic. I mean, there are very mechanical ways of using Chinese, too, but especially in modern Chinese. But ancient Chinese really had a kind of essential poetic nature. It's really remarkable, actually. I yes. just find it fascinating. Mm-hmm. So just continuing on uh, chapter one, you know, that, like, uh, we're just reiterating the name that could be named is not the, the everlasting name, but nameless is the virgin uh, or the origin sometimes, I think it's translated, nameless is the virgin of all things, named is the mother of all things. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, there's the dance, isn't it? Um, if you're mm-hmm. familiar with Hinduism, I, I'm very fond of Hinduism. The, the mm-hmm. dance of Shiva and Shakti, uh, you know, creates yeah. the universe. And it's the same idea here, right? The, um, the yeah. nameless, the formless, uh, which is Shiva, and then the, the form, the, 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 uh, the energy uh, that pours out, the nameless and the name sort of dance with each other and create, um, create this universe. And free of desire, mm-hmm. we see subtleties. Not free, we only see things. That's a beautiful translation of that. Um, Thank you. Yeah, free of desire, we see subtleties, right? When, when we can let go and um, not be attached to things, but the minute we attach to things, then they become just that, things, right? Uh, to be manipulated. Yeah. That's right. That's, you know, very well said. I, I agree with you. It's, and then to finish the chapter, the chapter, the two are the same, yet arise as two. A, a oneness mm-hmm. called dark... Dark beyond dark is the door to all subtleties. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of people uh, run away from the darkness, right? Because they, we want light. Um, and I know in Unity and New Thought, you know, we are invoking light a lot, a lot and, and don't want to deal with the dark. But I think that divine dark, we have it in the Christian tradition too, um, you know, it is a very powerful place, isn't it? It's, um, yeah, it's, right. it's a secret place. It's... Um, how would you describe it? Because you talk a lot about the dark in the in the in your yes, translation. Yes, I do. I do, uh, particularly vis-a-vis poem six. Um, you know, the dark, the character for dark in Chinese is not dark as in black or foreboding or you know 
difficult. Uh, it it actually means um, thread twisted and twisted and twisted around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that what it means is that it's uh, it means hidden or uh, mysterious or mystical. So dark doesn't mean like negative. It's not a negative term. It means that it's hidden in some way. So the dark feminine, that means that the, the feminine nature of the Tao, of the Tao is hidden. Uh, and only when we have the eyes to see free, free of desire, can we see through that, um, um, the, that threaded enmeshment. Uh, so it's 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 very fascinating, and uh, I agree with what you're saying about the Hindu tradition. It makes a lot of sense. Right. I think it was D. H. Lawrence that said that there's the the dark sun behind the the sun that we know, right? And uh, I've always liked that idea. I think he was onto something there because he was pointed to the same the same idea here. That uh, mm-hmm. out out of that emptiness or that void, and of course in Genesis we have the same idea, right? Out of the the formless mm-hmm. void comes forth creation, and um, mm-hmm. it's the same the same mother, right? The the same uh, womb, if you like, the dark womb. And and you wrote this this translation, uh, created this translation, particularly with the divine feminine in mind, right? And I, I think that. Um, I'm putting words in your mouth, but I think you feel this is important in our time and age that we need to return to, to ideas of, of this feminine because the masculine, exclusive masculinity has is, is not done well for our planet, our society, our, no, our political no. system, right? Right, right. I mean, in poem 28, uh, for instance, uh, on my translation says, you know, know the masculine, but hold to the feminine. So there's no denying the value of the masculine, but what is to be held in all contexts is the feminine nature of creation and, and doing and acting. So it's, uh, it's you know, the Tao Te Ching is not, um, you know, it's not chastising or moralizing. Uh, it basically just furthers the good, um, the Tao, furthers the good. and. So it's 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 really quite remarkable and freeing, and it was poem number six um, that really changed my um, you know traditional view of the Tao to be translated as as a pronoun as it. Uh, it became obvious to me um, that there was a, a much different way to look at this, and that uh, in Chinese, when you translate from Chinese to English or any other Western language, uh, you use the context to decide what pronoun to use because Chinese doesn't have pronouns, at least ancient Chinese didn't have pronouns. Right, right. And so uh, I said, well, wait a minute, you know, the Tao Te Ching uh, is it's constantly being referred to as the dark womb or the, or the feminine or mother or virgin. These That signals the feminine context for me. And that particularly poem six just turned me around i said i can't stay in my own integrity and use the pronoun it anymore for describing the Tao. Uh, and i changed all of it to she all the pronouns to she i think so we have a we have a bit of a problem in the west too with you know with in terms of how to address god because for you know thousands of years god's been 
exclusively he, right? And um, right. in modern times, yeah. we've discovered that, you know, it, it God is beyond gender uh, and yet includes right. both genders. So I know in right. unity, we often, we often say mother, father, God or father, mother, God. Um, but uh-huh. you know, it's it's it seems cold to call it it, right? It's not, it's not, yeah. it's not very warm and friendly, and, and it's nicer to have a a, a, a pronoun yeah. that's 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 uh, you know approachable. Do you want, uh, so six is the immortal void is called the dark womb, the dark womb's gate. From her creation takes root, an unbroken gossamer that imparts without effort. So there's mm-hmm. that thread within thread again. And I love that mm-hmm. last line, you know, in parts without effort, right? And this, this is a big theme in the Tao, isn't it? Not, not, um, not forcing things. Things that are forced tend to break apart, right? Whereas things that are naturally unfolding effortlessly, so seemingly, um, you know, are, are, are eternal. And this okay. leads into the big concept that, that's in the book, um, the, the idea of actionless activity, right? Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, the whole, uh, you know, in Chinese it's uh, wei wu wei, um, or just, or sometimes just wu wei, but wei wu wei means act, no acting, or act without acting, or do without doing. Um, it's, it's what I think I picked up when I was in Asia just by imitating the people around me particularly in South Korea, I would say, um, is that, uh, you know, like a child, I was imitating, you know, the people around me. And um, and way, way may basically means um, to act without premeditation, to act, um, do without doing, is to act spontaneously without trying to... Um, you know, analyze things or, or multitask as we're so actively we do nowadays, you know. It's to act uh, without without premeditation it, uh, and not to expect to be liked or appreciated or honored for what we do, but we just do what we do because we're following the Tao and the Tao always favors the good. The Tao always favors the good. That's a very, you know, that's probably one of the ways in which, the, um, you know, the Dao the Te Ching is so distinctive, is that there isn't moral judgment about bad actions. It's just saying that the Tao will favor the good no matter what you do. Right. Yeah. And, and it's the idea of, uh, we might call it the sweet spot, too, isn't it, in, if you're talking about sports or, or music or whatever, you know, where people are just naturally... They, they, they've got a skill and they're, let, they're expre- expressing it in a beautiful way. I was watching um, Cristiano uh-huh. Ronaldo, the great soccer player, doing his workout the other day and on, on Facebook or whatever. And, it was, and he went through his paces, uh, you know, sidestepping and doing all this thing around obstacles on the pitch. And I thought how effortlessly he did it. And it was a, a tremendous workout. If, if any of us tried to do it, you know, be stumbling all over the place. <laughs> But he did it with such grace. Um, and yeah, you could say, oh, well, yeah. that's Cristiano Ronaldo. Of course he can do that. But but really yeah. what he's doing, his, his, his skill is that. And that's his joy. And he's doing it so well. And I, I believe yeah. each one of us have, you know, something that we do equally well. And we do it effortlessly. And and it seems to unfold with, without us ha- trying to force it. And that, for me, that's 
that's this uh, wu wei, right? This actionist activity is just being yeah, your natural self. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and letting it come out in an effortless way. I mean, you know, and all of us probably have skills that we do, you know, effortlessly that would be difficult for other people to do. You know, that's right. certainly true. Yeah, you know that we all have some set of skills that we have practiced and practiced and practiced in many different ways and we just do it effortlessly so in in many ways uh, i'm good at anything that has to do with yakety yak talking <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you know so whether it's writing or teaching or preaching you know if if it's about words and communication i can do it well uh, you know i do it without really without any effort at all actually I can say the same thing as I've been a minister for several decades now and I do this yeah. radio show and, you know, et cetera. So, yeah, it, it's, it's the same idea, I think, um, you know, mm -hmm. but we all have to find that which is ours to do. Right. Whether it be a, right. a mechanic or, or a cook or whatever, right. uh, you can uh, find right. that, that natural flow in, within whatever whatever you do and that that's the beauty of this and not trying to force yourself to do something you can't do either i think it's okay to no. to let that go if that's not yours to do by the way yeah. before we go to the break uh we're on vacation in in, in new mexico and there's beautiful artifacts etc and i love them and so does my wife and uh, and yet the dow invites us to um to, to enjoy undyed silk and uncarved wood. <laughs> I would say, well, wait a minute, I, I want my my silk all dyed and beautiful and, and the beautiful <laughs> patterns. And I, I want my wood carved in the beautiful shapes that they make up, up here in the, uh, you know, this part of the world. So it's yeah. not really saying you can't have those things, right? It's, it's pointed to something else. Yeah, the uncarved wood refers to the, un, you know, before it's named. Uh, that's what the metaphor means. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's the essence within something. I think Michelangelo said that, you know, he'd already found the, the statue within the block of wood, right? It was just, or the block of stone. He just had a chip yeah. away. Yeah, I, had, I hadn't thought about that for a long time, but that's right. Yeah, right. That it, it comes from the marble itself uh, rather than our intention it, it, it's interesting you know but of course we it has to be a skill we know well i mean you know he was you know he knew how to sculpt you know obviously. yes yeah right yeah there's a sort of an allowing isn't there an, an allowing something to to reveal itself that, that mm -hmm. is very beautiful i think in any any creative process all right we're at the break um folks I, i'm with rosemary Anderson, and uh, we're talking about her new translation and commentary of the Tao Te Ching, with this particular emphasis on the divine feminine. Uh, let's take a break, and we'll be back after these messages from Unity uh, for the second half of our show. To join us then. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. 
the voice of an awakening world. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. So welcome back to today's show. I'm with Rosemary Anderson, and we're talking about her book on the Tao Te Ching. It's a new translation and commentary. We've already discussed several themes and ideas within this wonderful text uh, around the divine feminine, around allowing and being in the flow. Um, and the idea that uh, the weak overcomes the the strong um, in, in the sense like water overcomes rock is one of the images in the in the Tao. Um, sometimes it's counterintuitive to our um, Western society. It wants to force things to happen, right? Um, right. But that, that is not always the highest and, and best way. And I do know, actually, that uh, this text, the Tao, is um, is used by uh, the armed forces and, uh, you know, special, special forces uh, as a wisdom text in, in the sense that it, it gives great advice about how to not be too regimented and to use intuition and um, oh. initiative. And, and that's kind of interesting because, um, and of course, it's been used in the business, the business world, um, as you know, how to lead effectively um, without uh-huh. dominating. And, and so we can learn a lot from the Tao, right? It's eminently practical. Oh my goodness, it's very practical, you know. And uh, and yes, um, do without doing refers to a le- leadership as well, uh, whether it's in business or government or just everyday affairs. Um, in decision making, uh, is that if we force things, if we do things with, you know, that don't really seem to want to happen, so to speak, but we're trying to put the effort in it to make it right. happen. When we do that, we're just, we're just. That's very counterintuitive. It usually, I mean, sometimes we need to work hard, but that's different than forcing something to happen. And, um, you know, uh, the Tao is repeatedly referred to uh, as having the nature of water in the Tao Te Ching, as you said. And um, and water, um, you know, can carve out canyons in times and, and make, you know, it and, and take mountains down. Um, and, you know, so in the West, we tend, to, you know, to get a bulldozer out or something, you know. Right. And try to, yeah, and just kind of knock it down. But... You know, the the idea in the Tao Te Ching is, uh, is to let things take their course because the Tao, Te, the Tao will always favor the good. And I think that's the real kind of underlying lesson is that often we try to force things to make them better or good, but maybe that's not always the right way, you know? Maybe it's sometimes slow is okay. It's just okay. Right, and, and this is a hard lesson, you know, for our modern society, which, you know, uh-huh. as you said, is, is moving in a totally different direction since probably since the Industrial Revolution and maybe before that. But um, it's, hard, it's hard to turn that particular battleship around, you know, but we know uh-huh. that if we keep going the same way, um, we're going to have great trouble here, you know, in terms of climate change and, and right. just the destruction of the environment or whatever. It's all based on exploiting a resource rather than respecting the sacred nature of, of planet earth here um, and the losing sight of uh, you know those those values it, it seems to me remarkable that you know around six the sixth century bce uh, so many texts uh, arose um you know like the Tao and some of the buddhist texts the earlier panishads right. um, the the writings right. of the prophets um 
you know, uh, the Zoroastrian texts shortly thereafter, um, you know, right. etc., that we're, we're all speaking from this same context, you know, this holistic um, view of the world. And, uh, and, you know, that some of these texts have never been bettered, I don't think, in terms of their wisdom. Uh, and yet we've lost touch with them, you know, so often. And we, we need that teaching today, I think. Yes, yes. I mean, I, you know, obviously the, the biggest uh, um, challenge that probably we have right now is with climate change and how we're uh, relating to the Earth as an... Right. Uh, we're relating to it as a thing rather than an organic system which needs respect and tenderness. You know, and again and again, the Tao talks about uh, more feminine qualities like tenderness and gentleness and... Um, uh, motherliness and qualities like that, which are um, how I think we should be relating to our environment and our natural world, not just digging it up and exploiting it, but um, finding a, a much more reciprocal way of relating to our environment, uh, much more uh, gracious and um, Tender, I would say tender. The underlying word that it keeps on coming up in my consciousness is is tender, tenderness. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. You know, we mentioned earlier that you know a lot of people don't like the idea of darkness. You know, when we want light, um, and I think it's the same with emptiness. People don't like emptiness. You know, they want fullness, mm -hmm. right? And, and right. yet the Tao talks a lot about empty. The the womb itself is empty until you know gestation occurs and, and it gets filled. Uh, the cup right. is is empty until you fill it with a liquid, right? If it was already full, it wouldn't be useful. Um, <laughs> right, so emptiness, exactly. emptiness is is a wonderful thing. Uh, there's a lovely line in the Tao things empty, empty but inexhaustible, right? Like a bellows, um, you know, it can be utilized. It's 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 essentially empty, and yet it uh, is always giving. That's right. You know, it, uh, one of the things I learned from uh, another translator whose name is Red Pine. And I know him personally, and uh, he um, he reminds us that in in the era in which the Tao Te Ching was uh, transmitted, at least orally, uh, the Chinese built homes, homes, houses, if you will, uh, by carving uh, the carving uh, holes, caves, if you will, uh, in mountainsides, and then they would uh, cut out doors and windows. So um, emptiness. You know, in many ways, the, it was the whole that became useful. Yes. It, so it's empty. The usefulness was in the emptiness of the whole. That's what made it useful. <laughs> That's what made a house. And uh, so it's kind of, it's interesting that it had such a literal, that emptiness could have such, you know, such a, such a basic literal understanding. And, you know, my ancestry is Finnish, and so that's how it wow. found us. Saunas were initially created um, in the old days. They would carve out uh, holes in a in a kind of a mountainside, and then put a kind of slotted door in the front, and uh, you know, and put a uh, a flue, a chimney, a hole in the in the on the top, and then build right. a fire, and you, and you had a sauna or sauna in English, but the sauna right. is the Finnish pronunciation, and um, you know, it's the same kind of idea uh, that is to carve out reality, you know, it, that reality has to have an emptiness in order to be fun functional. I love Heart. that. That's beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you, you're probably familiar with the famous Zen story about the, the Westerner who goes to the Zen master, you know, and asks for wisdom and 
and the master says, let's, let's have a cup of tea first. And uh, so they have tea and the master starts pouring the, uh, the liquid into the cup and then he, he, he overflows all over the table, etc. The, the student <laughs> thinks the, the guy is nuts. <laughs> and he, he says, uh, well, listen, you know, and uh, it's the same with you. If your mind is too full with all the, you know, the desire to know the truth, uh, you'll never know it. You have to empty yourself before you can receive the, the tea of my wisdom. And, That's uh, right. I've always, yeah. always like that idea because it's another yeah. symbol of the emptiness, isn't it? You know. <laughs> yes, yes. You know that. You know, I, I don't think I couldn't have done this translator when I was, when I was younger. I, I just uh, I had too many ideas of my own. <laughs> uh, there we go. Yeah, That's good. I, and uh and you know and uh in translating it i you know I, I just had to wait until the poem revealed itself to me i had to become empty mhm yes very good yeah and the sh- the shorter the poem uh got the better it got and the longer it took to create exactly yeah yeah i think it was mark twain that said that right that uh if, if he had to give a speech, you know, that uh, he, could, he could talk for an hour, but if he had to give a short one, he'd have to work on it three times as long, you know. Absolutely. The same, the same idea, yeah. <laughs> he could, he could easily know. give an hour's speech, but if he wanted to give a 15-minute, you really have to work on that one. Yeah. That's right. So, That's right. In the Episcopal Church, usually the standard is 10 minutes. That's all you get for a sermon. For your little and, homily, yeah. Yeah, just a little homily. And, uh, you know, that... That can take uh, that can take a while to 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 say something in a simple way, you know. Um, yes. And and simplicity is always what's going to work best from a from the pulpit, of course. Um, you know, when preachers go on and on, they, from my perspective anyway, they lose lose their audience. You know. Absolutely, yeah, because we can only take in so much, you know. Um, mm-hmm. However entertaining the, the sermon might be, there comes a time when it's, it's time to shut up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah so great. yeah, you talk about Red Pine. I love Red Pine. I've, I've never met him, but uh, I have several of his translations. I actually just got the Lankavatara Sutra. Um, I'm really excited about dipping into that because that's one of the more profound Buddhist scriptures, and uh, mm-hmm. he always does great work uh, with his translations and commentaries. So, yeah, yeah. Love, I, I'm a, glad you. I'm glad you know him. That's wonderful. Yeah, he's a, I could put you in contact with him if you want. He's a, a very interesting man. I really enjoy. I've, I bet I've met he him. Is. And, yeah. He'd probably make yeah. a great guest for the show. So maybe I'll follow up with you on that. And okay. See if I can get it, get him on the show. So okay. do you have a very favorite. Uh, poem out of the 81 is the one that really speaks to you more than any other oh yeah i mean it's uh, it's poem number six uh, to be perfectly honest i think i think uh-huh. you read it out loud before uh it's it's the one that turned me around and um and i think the poem that is uh, probably um, the most different from other um translations because in the first line for example which i have translated the immortal void Usually, it's translated as the valley spirit, and right. um, and um, but I studied the etymology of Chinese characters a lot, so I had a way of, under, of looking at this that was a little different. And so, in, China, in the Chinese character for valley, which I have translated as void, is basically a cap over. Um, uh, 
uh, a cup, so to speak, or a valley, you know. And mm-hmm. that means could mean valley, but it could also mean void. It's the emptiness that is um, enclosed, in a way, with the cap. And uh, this, and I translated the character for that's usually character is translated spirit as immortal. So um, I think that's I think that's a real um, um, innovation in the translations because a void, of course, is synonymous with emptiness. It's like the inside of a house or the inside of a cup, and so the immortal void is called the dark womb the dark womb's gates, the womb being the void. And from that, creation take roots, an unbroken gossamer that imparts without effort. It's a short poem, but for me, it encapsulates a lot about what is important to me about the Tao, that creation is going to go on whether we hang out on on this planet or not. You know, the Tao is going to go on and on, and something else will happen. And it imparts with that effort. It's it's like a, like again the, the the twisted threads around the character for dark, the unbroken gossamers. Uh, it's it the the the, the Tao unfolds effortlessly, uh, but it also is continuous. It 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 will always go on. Right. It always will go on. Yeah. And that's beautiful. You know, I'm reminded of, uh, we had a a tree branch fall down in a storm and it was dangling. um, And uh, in the the branch was a um, hummingbird's nest. And normally they're way up high, but because the branch was broken, it was about at uh, face height. And so we, uh, it had survived and and there were two eggs in there. And we we Mm. watched it until the, the, the birds fledged. And which was quite remarkable because I kept going down and hoping that the branch wouldn't fall before the the fledging, and they <laughs> they luckily they both fledged. But looking at the nest itself is is fascinating because you know how small hummingbirds are, but they make their nest um, out of a lichen and other bits of twig, but and the lichen looks very interesting, the pattern on it, um, but mm. all around the top is gossamer, is cobwebs, and um, so you have this yeah. milky milky white. Uh, top to the to the nest itself um, and then there's these little elongated blue eggs um, but to me that sums up what we, what this poem is saying if you like you know out of that sort of um, seemingly um, uh, fragile thing you know some gossamer or some um, cobweb this this creature can create a strong nest you know out of, out of which new life can come forth and it's sort <laughs> of the the Tao in action if you like yeah Wow, that's beautiful. That's really beautiful. My favorite, one of my favorite um, poems is 67. Can we look at that a little bit? It says, uh, the world calls me great. You know, and we do this with God, don't we? God is great. We put put him on an altar and forget about him. The world calls me great, great, but of no value. Because I am great, I resemble nothing of value. If I were of value long ago, I would have become small. And I, again, there's the counterintuitive nature of that, isn't it? Um, yeah, you know, right. it's, it's, uh, if, if you call something great, you, you name it and you, you put, put it like in a special place and, and, and it's, it's no longer effective or something where we, we don't want to be labeling things, right? Right, right. And, and we don't want to stand out, you know. Leadership is often to follow, you know, to be at the end of the line. Yes. Mm. And then it gets to the, the three treasures, yes? 
Yet I have three treasures that I guard and protect. And the first is compassion. The second is moderation. And the third is not daring to stand out in the world. Through compassion, I can be brave. Through moderation, I can be generous. Through not daring to stand out, I am able to perfect my potential. If I reject compassion for bravery, reject moderation for gain, reject loneliness for status, death is certain. So this is powerful, isn't it? Because the, mm. the, the essential qualities, the non-resistant qualities create um, ways of living. But if we if we make a God out of those ways of living, then death is certain, right? Um, it's like somebody mm. that's got a gift and, and yet becomes ego attached to that gift. It's no longer a gift, it's, it's become a curse. And, and we right. see this in our society. So we, we always have to be um, humble and open and, uh, you know, um, compassionate to ourselves and others, because then then we can really do the work. And I, I think this is a very profound uh, poem. And then, then it ends for compassion triumphs in battle, defends and stands firm. What heaven creates, compassion shields. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we could we could we could study that one for a while. I think. Yeah, we could. Yeah, a lot of them are like that. But this one certainly. I mean, you know, one of the things. Fortunately, I've always not. I've never wanted to be famous and um, or you know stand out in the world. And it's probably one of the reasons I've been able to do so much. Um, and that I think is valuable, uh, at least from my perspective, is because I I I don't I don't have to be important. You know. Right. I don't feel like I need to be important, um, and that makes me more effective. That's all. Just as simple as that. Interesting. You should bring that up because my wife and I were talking about that at dinner last night, and um, mm. talking about how some people are exalted, you know, become famous in one field or another. Or uh, we're thinking about the Olympics because that's going on right now, you know, and how young people can be so amazing at certain sports, and or then film stars become, you know, known or musicians, whatnot. But then we started musing that, you know, really, that, that's not really important to the universe. The importance is how, how congruent are you, you know, with, with, with the truth of your being, right? If, you, if you're if you living it truth effectively, then that's what the universe or God or whatever you want to call it notices. Um, not not right. whether you're famous in the world's terms or that, you know, that could be a have value in and of itself, but it's not really what's what's crucially important so it's it's do what you have to do well right follow your dharma as they might say in in hinduism yeah i i notice particularly as i get older what's more more and more important to me is to do what only i can do to do what only i can do you know and that is the 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 quintessential quality for me when i make decisions now um is particularly about my professional life, but in general, uh, what can I do in this context that only I can do, and let everybody else do everything else? <laughs> and that takes a whole weight off, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of nice, isn't it? Yeah, I sometimes say to myself, I'll, I'll do that, you know, if I'm not good at something this life, I'll do that the next lifetime, you know? Yeah, something like yeah. that. You know, I mean, uh, there are a lot of people who can do, you know, I get asked to do a whole bunch of things because I've done a lot of things professionally, but I, I say no a, a lot now. I try to be gracious about it because um, I think what's important for me at this time in my life is to do only what I can do. That 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 very quality or 
gift or is what I'm to give and not to spend my time doing all the things I can also do, you know, well, well enough anyway, but to do only the things that I can do. There's a phrase, there's a phrase that says uh, comparisons are odious. And I think, you know, we compare so much, you know, oh, I got to be like them. I got to push it and do something, got to achieve in that area and, uh, you know, go, go and experience so much. And, and really, that's not the truth, is it? I, and I think no. uh, Poem 47 sums this up well. And you're probably familiar with this, this one that um, Juan Mascaro, the, the great um, scholar and translator, wrote to George Harrison back in the 60s and said, uh, please put a piece, uh, uh, one of the poems from the Tao to music. And uh, he said, I'd like you to do 47, if you would. And uh, George Harrison did. It's called The Inner Light and uh, wrote a beautiful song based on, on this particular poem. But uh, it says, no need to step out the door to know the whole world. No need to look out the window to know the Tao of heaven. The further you go, the less you know. Thus, the wise know without going, name without looking, and arrive or attain without doing. And it really sums up what you're saying, I think. It's it's not about rushing around trying to do everything. Um, it, and that doesn't mean you don't have, you can't travel anymore, folks, because we're not taking this literally. Um, but it means you have everything you need right here and right now, right, within you. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And then focus on what you can uniquely give to the world. From that core that's true for you. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So in our, in, yeah. our last, in our last few minutes, what, what haven't we covered that you'd like to talk about? Oh, I don't know. We've talked about a lot. Um, uh, well, I, I just maybe close just to say what an honor it was to be able to translate the Tao Te Ching. Yes. To have, to have the time, the privilege of having the time and the skill to be able to do it. It was a tremendous honor. And that's why I do these radio interviews still, you know, it's, uh, is that um, uh, it, it was such a wonderful experience. And I've, uh, it changed me profoundly to work with this text. It took me over two years to do the translation. Um, you know, I had other things going on in my life, of course, but uh, it still took two years of, of really um, dwelling in silence and dwelling in uh, emptiness to let the poems reveal themselves to me. And then in the course of that, uh, I changed myself. I, it changed me. That's all. That's all. It's really yeah. simple. And I, I think uh, it, it changes others because of that, you know, that uh, whoever reads this can feel that that, uh, that work that, that has been done and um, that connection that's been made. So it's easier for us reading the translation to to also make that connection. Um, yes. And, they, you yes. know, there's lots of good translations out there. Um, right. One of the most popular ones, of course, is Stephen Mitchell's version, which is, you know, it's sort of a very popularized one and uses a lot of Buddhist terms, etc. It's not really true right. to the Tao all the time, is it? But I know right. a lot of people have been introduced to that, uh, to the Tao through that translation. But then it's, it's right. nice to go beyond that, you know, to, to discover uh, translations that are a little more true to the heart of, of the Tao itself. Um, I think yeah. Ursula Le Guin has got a good translation, for instance. Um, yeah, I'm not very fond of her translation, but um, and I think it's a little. T- I think she misses the point sometimes, uh-huh. although it's 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 uh, it's certainly very lyrical. It's poetic, and, and you're yeah. right. 
and and um, Stephen Mitchell's, it, you know, he was Buddhist, and a lot of his um, metaphors are more Buddhist than they are Taoist, and uh, and of course, Dao, modern Taoism is very different than the Tao Te Ching. I mean, my goodness. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of choices that a translator uh, has to make, uh, and I understand why there's so many different uh, versions of the Tao Te Ching. Are you familiar with the Jane English uh, Feng translation? That's my sort of second or third favorite, I think. I like it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm fond of that one, too. I, I Probably my favorite aside from, you know, my own, of course, is, is Red Pines. Um, uh, I really, I do really do value the fact that he he really tried to make it lyrical and stay close to the Chinese. Uh, right. And I value, I value that, and I try to do that myself, of course. Um, uh, and it, I think what distinguishes mine in some ways is not just the, the lyrical nature, but the fact that I really d- d- dwelled deeply into the etymology of the characters. So I, I think I got a taste for what they meant in ancient times. Right. Um, and and that, I should, yeah, I'm going to say I should tell people that there's uh, notes in the back that uh, refer to that, so that are quite illuminating. Um, and uh, so that's another valuable resource in the book. So get the book, folks. It's, it's, you're not going to regret it. It's wonderful. It has a lovely introduction as well. And uh, like sen- sensitive notes, as we said, and a, a very lyrical um, and accurate translation. Um, let me tell you about next week, and then we'll say our final words uh, with Rosemary. Next week, uh, author, teacher, and speaker Regina Louise joins me, and she's going to talk about her book. It's called um, Bootstrap Your Way to Unconditional Self Love. There we go. Bootstrap Your Way to Unconditional Self Love. Find kick ass strategies. That's, that's not quite so lyrical there. Find kick-ass strategies that grant permission for a new and dynamic life. So we'll see what that yields for us next week. Uh, Join me then. But uh, right now, I want to thank Rosemary Anderson for being with me for a wonderful translation and a wonderful hour. So thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciated your insights as well. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. And thanks, folks, for listening. Uh, Have a good week, okay? Bye-bye now. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. 